This is Mitch Dubin, SOC. I have been a camera operator for over 30 years, and you are listening to The Go Creative Show. Hey, everyone. My name is Ben Consoli. I'm a director and owner of BC Media Productions. And this is The Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers. On today's episode, we've got Mitch Dubin. He is a legendary camera operator, and if you haven't heard his name before, you certainly have seen his work. He's basically Steven Spielberg's go-to camera operator and has done 17 Spielberg films. So you can imagine the stories that you are about to hear in this episode. But even beyond all of that, I think more importantly is that we talk about the role of a camera operator. A lot of people don't realize that the the director of photography isn't necessarily the one operating the camera. So all the glory goes to the DPs, and for good reason, of course, to all you DPs out there. But the unsung heroes in cinematography and in filmmaking are the camera operators. And Mitch is going to tell us all about what his role is, how he interacts with the director, how he interacts with the director of photography, and of course, the actors as well. So there's a lot of information in here that we don't really get to talk too much about on Go Creative Show, which is why I am so excited to share this one with all of you. Now, of course, before we begin, um, I want to encourage you guys to follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Um, We're actually going to be doing some live Go Creative shows with audience interaction, and I'm very excited about that, coming up on our YouTube page. So subscribe now so you're ready to go for when we start doing those live shows. Um, And also, of course, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. All things Go Creative Show at gocreativeshow.com. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsors, MZ, Education for Creatives, and PostLab, Stress-Free Collaboration, in Final Cut Pro and Premiere. So let's dive right in because we have so much to talk about with legendary camera operator, Mitch Dubin. So I'm here with Mitch Dubin, S-O-C-A-C-O. He's a camera operator for so many films and TV shows that you know and love. I'm talking Save It Private Ryan, Lincoln, Any Given Sunday, Jerry Maguire. He's right now in Chicago working on Fargo. And anybody that knows this show knows that we cover Fargo every year because I'm obsessed with it. And uh, (laughs) and so excited that the show is back and uh, recording again. So Mitch, welcome to Go Creative Show. Yeah, uh, thank you. Happy to be here. What I want to talk to you about mostly today is the role and the life of a camera operator, because I think a lot of people have this assumption that the directors of photography are the ones operating the camera. And more often than not, that is not the case. Um, Do you find that in your travels? Like when you're, you know, talking to people that may not know the inner workings of cinematography, uh, are you finding that as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, when, when you talk to people that are, uh, let's say, uninitiated in the industry and you say you're a camera operator, they look at you and they say, what does that mean? What do you do? I, they have no idea that there is uh, a craft or an art of of someone who's behind the lens. Uh, and yeah, people just assume it's a cinematographer, which is unfortunate. But um, yeah. So what, like, how do you describe your role on set? as camera operator? Well, you know, it depends on who I'm talking with, of course, but, uh, you know, if it is with film students or with, um, you know, the sort of initiated that understand a little bit about the industry, 
or I take it a step back. If it's with someone who doesn't know anything about the industry, you say, well, I'm the person that pants and tilts the camera and, uh, and then sort of walk away. But if it's because it's a much more complicated uh, job than painting and tilting the camera. In fact, when I do talk to people who are understand the industry, um, that's probably the first thing I say to them is that camera operating is 10% of that job is panning and tilting the camera because most of the job is really problem solving and communicating and understanding the emotional content of one lens, one millimeter of the lens to another, what the story is of moving the camera. It's, it's, it's a very intuitive, instinctual storytelling process. And it's not really that technical. It's really more of a, an emotional response, a, a, a storytelling process using the four lines of a frame. The, you know, the claim to fame of Mitch Dubin, I think, is your 17, I think it is, films with Steven Spielberg. Like, you, you're, you're Steven Spielberg's guy. You're his camera operator. And, like, that, that to me, I think, is, first of all, it's incredible to me to see the loyalty that a director has with their mm -hmm. camera operator. And just, I mean, you were with Spielberg throughout his entire career. <laughs> like basically his, his real rise in, in height of his career, you were there alongside. And I'd like to dig into that a little bit and just kind of start with, you know, how, how did you even, how do you even begin with somebody like that at his level? You had mentioned just a moment ago, every new experience you start terrified this must have been one of the most terrifying experiences for you. One day I get this, I, I, I eventually moved back to LA and I get a call from Janusz Kaminski and Janusz asked if we could have lunch and um, met him at the Rose Cafe in Venice. And he came with Steven Meisler, who was the camera assistant of Janusz's assistant. Now Steve is shooting. Um, uh, and he asked me if I would be willing to work with him as an operator. And I said, yeah, of course. And so we, we did a couple of other movies uh, before the first movie I did with Janusz and Steven. The first movie I did was uh, the second Jurassic Park. So I didn't do Schindler's List. I started with Steven right after Schindler's List, his next movie. Now, Steven... On Schindler's List was the movie that he finally was recognized as critically as a great film director. And mm. the movie won all sorts of awards. And then the next movie he chose to do was was the sequel to the first Jurassic Park. It was a strange choice, I think, for Stephen. And I think he was really sort of unhappy that that he had made that choice. It was a monetary choice, I think. And I have to say, so it was the first movie I did with Steven and he wasn't in the best of moods making it. And it was a really difficult experience. And I remember telling Janusz at one point, I said, I, I can't work with this <laughs> asshole anymore. Wow. I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm, this is it, Janusz. I'm doing this film. I'm not doing another film with him because he just, you know, Steven was a bit, of, he's mellowed a lot in the years that I've worked with him, but he was a screamer. He was impatient. And you had to earn his respect. And if he didn't know you, he was really hard. And he was really, operating was a big thing for him. In fact, he used to operate his own camera. Um, and so he was really hard on me. And I, I remember, you know, we were shooting over at Universal and at lunch, I would just go to my car and I would 
sit in there by myself and literally just shake. Wow. It, it was like a, it was really a horrible experience. Yanis convinced me, he said, no, no, Mitch, you know, you, you give Stephen another, another chance. And we did another movie. I think the next one was Amistad. And each movie I did with him um, was a better experience. And then obviously Saving Private Ryan was a great experience. And, and from that point on, he uh, trusted me and we um, got along great. And I, I, I love Stephen, working with Stephen is a complete inspirational experience. Every movie's a little different. It's very challenging. He's whether you like his movies or not, he is an absolute master at the camera. I mean, he tells a story. He knows how to use the camera in ways that no one else has ever been able to do, I think. And mm. um, it's every movie is a challenge and that's what makes it fun. Uh, you can, know, you point really, to, can you point to a lesson that you learned from him that impacted your work moving forward on his movies and just in general? Well, I can tell you one story that I learned from Stephen. Uh, this is again, this was on that, that Jurassic Park, you know, Lost World. And we had a very long dolly shot that was set up and um, it was outside in the, in the dirt. So, you know, the, 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 the wedges sink in the mud or whatever. So we did one take and another take. And then I think probably on the third take, you know, we did the shot and there was a bump in it because the, the track had settled. And, you know, Stephen, we finished the shot, Stephen yells, cut. All right, we're moving on, print it. And I, I go running over to Stephen, no, 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 you, you can't. We have to do another one because we had a big bump in the track. And he said, I'm not doing it again. It's in the movie. <laughs> and I was like horrified. And and then I watched the movie when it came out and I never saw the bump in the in the in the movie. And I, I know it's there, but it's it you know I learned from Stephen that you that you you make choices at that there really, in reality, there really is never a perfect shot. Mm. All the years I've done this, I don't know if I've ever done a perfect shot. There's always something that you could do better. And that was a moment I learned from Stephen that, yeah, you have to make compromises as a camera operator. You have to understand when <clears throat> you really do need another take because when you ask for another take, it it's taking away from the director's time, the actor's time, everyone else's commitment. There might've been a great performance that the actor gave, and now you're asking them to do it again. So it, I always call, you know, working as a camera operator, especially is sort of the art of compromise. It, it really is an art to understand when it's okay to compromise, when you don't get the perfect shot, when it's okay to move on, or when it really is, important to do another take. So yeah, that was a lesson I learned from Steven. Now working with Steven Spielberg, you said that he's a master at understanding how to use the camera. Um, is that a good experience for you as a camera operator to have somebody that is so knowledgeable about the camera versus maybe somebody that focuses entirely on performance and not on the camera at all? I work really closely with the director. Mm. In fact, I always say that a camera operator might get hired by the DP cinematographer, but you end up working for the director. <clears throat> and so with Stephen, uh, so there are many different types of directors. There are directors, I think, that are 
writer-directors that are really concerned with the script, that they wrote the script, and they're concerned with the actors saying their words correctly. There are directors that are really focused on being actors. They might have been an actor earlier in the career, and now they're directing. There's directors that are purely visual directors, people like Michael Bay, for example, that um, are, are really good with the camera, but the, the, you know, it's about getting the cool shots. Excuse me. Um, and, and then there are directors that are a combination of all of those things. And those directors are the, the masters to me. And that's Steven. I mean, Steven mm. has written his own scripts. He's really good with script. He's great with the actors. And he, he really understands how to use the camera to tell the story. And so, yeah, as a camera operator, there's nothing better than to work with a director that knows, that understands the camera. Um, because you want to be pushed. You don't want to do, you know, I, I, when I work with a director that doesn't like working with a camera, that just sort of defers it to the cinematographer and the camera operator, it's not nearly as much fun because you really want to explore new areas. You want to be pushed. You want to discover things about what the story can be visually and, and, and challenged in your craft. So, you know, that's what Steven does. He, he thinks like he's, you know, a 27 millimeter lens when he watches a rehearsal and he can block out the action and the actors. And it's like, I always find, you know, Steven shows up usually a half an hour before call. We always have, you know, an assistant there with the lenses and he walks around with a finder. He doesn't really talk with anybody. He has in his head what he's looking for. And then he, he finds that first shot of the scene and then he he's done you know he he's happy we do that shot and then that shot will lead to the next shot which leads to the next shot he very rarely he never shot this he will sometimes storyboard if it's a heavy visual effect shot or lately he's done more you know previs instead of storyboards when mm -hmm. it's a really either big action or heavy visual effects but if it's a normal uh scene without any of those elements he he just arrives and figures it out on the day. And it's amazing to watch him go through that process. It's also amazing but, that you've been with him for such a, a long time over such a span of films, 17 films with Steven Spielberg. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, can you talk to me yeah. about maybe his evolution as a director and your evolution as a camera operator throughout that experience? After doing 17 movies with Steven, I, the, the one thing I've, learned and I learned this actually pretty early is that that I really understand Stephen's shorthand. And it's like I understand his language, Spielbergian, I call it. And if I if I for some reason am not there to hear him describe what the shot is, let's say, you know, I'm still we're still wrapping up something from the previous shot, maybe a visual effect element or something. And Stephen already is already jumping ahead and and he's talking about describing the shot. And if I'm not there and I hear the shot told to me by somebody else, it is always wrong. Mm -hmm. It's amazing, you know, because when he describes a shot, I get it. I understand completely what it is he wants to do. And even if he's not 100% uh, descriptive of it, I understand how to fill in the blanks of what he wants. Um, and if I don't, if I hear it from somebody else, 
it's amazing. It's uncanny how it's always wrong. You know, he'll come back from wherever he might be and say, what is, what is this? This is not what I said. <laughs> and, wow. and, and so anyway, so I, I understand his instincts. I understand his point of view. I understand how he likes to tell stories visually. Um, and it, yeah, it's been a great experience for me. Um, I love that Stephen doesn't do a lot of close-ups. He saves the close-ups for for the important moments that he wants to use them for, and he likes to shoot big masters um, that will run the whole scene, so the actors get a chance to play the whole scene, and with the intent of using it as one shot, but then knowing that we'll probably go in and cut uh, some coverage in there. Um, but it's always based on that big master shot. And it doesn't matter how difficult it is to get it so that we can run through the whole scene. Um, we, we do it again, knowing that it might get cut up. But, um, but I, I think that's really a great way to work is to, to shoot a big master, not think about coverage until you've shot that master and you see how it plays and where you might need to, you know, uh, implement it with, 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 other coverage, closer shots. Can you talk to me about your relationship with a director of photography versus a director, how it's different, um, you know, and what your role is? I, I have to preface that by saying every, every show is a little different. Mm. Um, it, again, it depends on the strength of the director visually. But for example, if, you know, when I did Jerry Maguire, you know, Cameron Crowe is a writer. He's a great writer and he's a wonderful, sweet guy. And he's great with the actors, but he didn't really know the camera that well. So in that situation, my my collaboration was with Janusz, the, the, the cinematographer. Um, and and Cameron depended on Janusz and I to to figure to figure out the the blocking and the and how the camera was going to the choice of lenses and where it was with Steven. It's different because Steven's so specific about the camera. He knows so much about it that I sort of communicate directly with Steven and Janusz does the lighting and it, it gets very sort of segmented that way. Mm. And then there are other shows where, and so it's somewhere in, in between those two extremes, depending on, on the show, the director, the, the cinematographer. And so it can be a tricky position as a camera operator because you can be stuck in a very awkward position between what the cinematographer wants and what the, the director wants because they don't always agree. Mm. And so one of the one of the jobs of a camera operator is being the diplomat. It, you know, it's like being the Henry Kissinger of the set to make both people try to come together in an understanding of what the shot needs to be. Can and, you point uh, to a moment where that happened? I mean, I'm sure there's many, but something that maybe the audience will be able to you know, remember from a, from a film. Yeah. I, I don't know if I could, uh, I don't, I don't think I can remember a specific instance. Um, I'd have to think about that one, but yeah, you know, the, the point I, I think to make is that usually um, and I'm going to get into trouble for saying this. <laughs> get into trouble. It's just it's just us filmmakers here. You know, <laughs> it's fine. But I, <laughs> that usually when there's a conflict between a, a cinematographer and a director, that it's usually the director is the 
is usually correct. And because it's about storytelling and the cinematographer, God bless them. They, they just want it to look beautiful, but that means that they, they really, they need to, they want to put their lights. It's to them. It's about where they can put their lights. And if the shot that the director wants sees this place where they want to hide a light or rig a light, then that changes the whole lighting plan that he might have for that scene, for that shot. And so that's where the conflicts come in. But, and I, I would say, like, if you really get down to the, to the, to the core of what the shot is about, what the scene is about, what the, the truth is of the shot, then inevitably there shouldn't be any discussion. We know what the shot has to be. And, and, it, and if the cinematographer has to put his light someplace else, you know, that's, again, as part of the art of compromise, of knowing when you can compromise to do what is the essential part of what we do, which is tell a story. Hmm. You know. Let's take a moment and talk about MZ. Now, MZ is Education for Creatives. And what it is is basically hundreds and hundreds of hours of high-quality, video-based filmmaking education. I'm talking about topics like directing, cinematography, post-production, visual storytelling. I mean, that's exactly what we know and love here at Go Creative Show. And when you become an MZ Pro member, you have access to their entire library, which is just fantastic because there's so much stuff there that you guys are going to want to learn and, and know. For instance, okay, one of their newer courses, they have the editor, Tom Cross, ACE, who was the editor of La La Land and Whiplash and, and many, many more. And he does a whole course on the art and technique of film editing. So we're not just talking about like, you know, teachers that nobody knows. I mean, these are name educators, high-level A-list educators, giving you their experiences and teaching you their craft. They've also got, in addition to Tom Cross, Vincent Laferre, Shane Hurlbut, Philip Bloom, the Ari Academy is on MZ. So high-quality education, high-quality teachers, and courses that you're interested in. Like, this is exactly what we love here at Go Creative Show. Now, there are so many amazing courses on MZ. We just mentioned one. I mean, there are so many on there. So I encourage you to check it out for yourself. You can see them all at gocreativeshow.com forward slash MZ, M-Z-E-D, and become an MZ Pro member. You will not be let down. I'm a member. I love it. And uh, certainly during quarantine, I was learning a lot from MZ, and I know you will too. So gocreativeshow.com forward slash MZ, M-Z-E-D, education for creatives. Talk to me about your prep process for a film. Where does it begin for you? And, you know, how do you begin to get involved in a new project? Yeah, good question. I, you know, usually I'd say we don't really get much prep. Uh, as camera operators, we, you know, obviously we'll get a script sent to us and, and any, you know, visual references or storyboards or previs, but we usually show up on day one of shooting wow. <clears throat> without any prep. Now, more recently, I've, I've, it's, it really does help to have prep, especially seeing locations. Yeah. So I'll get invited to go on location scouts. Uh, um, and I, there's, I think you might have, uh, there was a question that was thrown out about the difference between TV and film, but um, which we can get to because it, it has to do with prep a little bit. But um, generally speaking, I, I don't get much prep. And 
uh, it would be nice. I think it would be helpful, but I'm fine sometimes without. I, I think I had mentioned earlier that concept of Gary Winogrand, which is to be completely open yeah. and in, in the moment of the frame. And sometimes, you know, not showing up until day one of, of shooting, it helps with that because I'm fresh and I'm open and, and uh, you know, you see the actors rehearse and, and you sort of feel feel it without any of the baggage of prep. And you could just go right into capturing those performances in a in an unbiased way. So you arrive most of the time right there on set first day. And I think that kind of makes sense about your, your being inspired by Gary, because, you know, looking at his work and how you're describing him right now, it is that, you know, kind of just being there and capturing it. I was just going to say real quick, you know, the, I think one of the arts of, of a camera operator, it, it sounds corny, but it's a little Zen, you know, you have to really be completely in the moment and you can't be thinking about, like I mentioned earlier, what they think you think they're thinking or what, you know, where, you know, there's so many things going on outside those four frame lines. I always think it'd be a funny movie if, you know, you show the shot and then you widen it up a few millimeters and you see the chaos that happens around the frame. But you can't be thinking about any of that. You have to be completely present. And I find what happens to me is that you're so concentrated inside that frame that when the shot is over and they say, check the gate, it all goes away. Mm -hmm. Like I, if, when we used to show dailies, when we had film, I sit in the theater and I had no memory at all of shooting any of these shots. I would, wow. I would have to nudge the camera system. Say, Did we do that? I don't remember that at all. And, and then, you know, when I see a movie for the first time, you know, in the theater, I, I look at it completely like a, a, a fresh audience member, because I don't remember hardly anything about, about the shots because it's that thing you concentrate so diligently and that you or have to. Or are you not paying attention? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> the... <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can't say it's that. <laughs> Tell, walk me through a typical day for a camera operator. How, where does it begin when you first arrive? Um, breakfast. <laughs> Most important. No, um, yeah. Um, so you arrive, they'll give you, you know, you'll have the sides of what the scene is that we're shooting that day. Um, and, and I've already read the script, but I'll look through the sides just to refresh my memory of what it is that, uh, that we're doing. And then there is the first thing that happens, there's a, what's called would be a private rehearsal, which would be the, uh, the, the actors, the director, the cinematographer, and, and oftentimes I will be there, the script supervisor and myself. Now, it's not always me. Sometimes the directors really, really like to have it private. And sometimes even the cinematographer won't be in there. But most of the time, it will be those people, actor, director, actors, script supervisor, sometimes props if they need to go in there, and myself and the cinematographer. And then there's where the director is blocking the actors and where you might if it's appropriate, make a suggestion on how better help the blocking that will work well with the yeah. the storytelling process. But um, it, again, that depends on the, the job. Like I, I wouldn't make that suggestion all the time for sure. 
So you sit quietly and you watch, and then there'll be a bigger rehearsal where they'll bring in the, the keys, the rest of the, the crew that needs to, to see it. Then the actors go back to hair and makeup, and we the director describes the first shot, and then the you know the grip department and myself, the dolly grip, and we'll start setting up that shot and, while they're lighting the scene, and then we do the have everything set up, and they, the actors come back in, and and we shoot, and sometimes we rehearse before we shoot, and sometimes we shoot the rehearsals. And and I have to say, it's much harder for the camera assistants I know and other people to shoot rehearsals. But I actually love to shoot rehearsals because it's it's there's something about doing it for the first time that it's inspiring. The, the actors don't you know can you know they don't have to do it more than a few times, yeah. especially if it's an emotional scene. There's something more immediate that happens when you shoot work immediately when you shoot the rehearsals. And even if it gets a little sloppy, sometimes that sloppiness helps in a weird way, again, depending on the, on, on the shot, but yeah. in the movie. But it's sort of inspiring, and it keeps you on your toes to shoot rehearsals. Well, how do you keep yourself almost invisible from the talent? How do you, you, know, how do you make sure that you're not getting in the, in the way of a performance? I think that's probably a really big part of operating camera. Yeah. Um, again, I would say that there are two different styles of camera operating. One is a is a objective point of view, which is sort of the silent camera uh, that you know that you don't really are aware of it in the audience that there is a, a camera working, even though you're constantly as an operator making decisions about you know, where the camera goes and the choice of lenses and movement, but it's still a quieter point of view. And then there's the subjective point of view, something like Saving Private Ryan, where the camera was a, another character mm. in, the, in the film. So um, it's it's those two extremes and then the maybe the balance, between, you know, between them. And but I think most of the time it's a sub, it's a objective point of view camera. So you try not to get in the way. You're there to to tell the story um, without it being in everyone's face. But you're still really close with the actors, and you and you're interacting with them. And, and a camera operator does have relationships with actors. It's something that you know you're probably the closest person to the actor. And when when the director calls cut and an actor looks up, usually the first person that they will look at is the camera operator. And in a million years, I would never give a note to a to an actor, but I, I'm always there to support them and to let them know that I have their back, you know, and that, that whatever they decide to do, it's fine. We'll be there with them. And, and, and there's ever no, ever any judgment or, you know, um, we're really there to support them. And I think they appreciate that. And, you know, I've heard from actors when you might, you know, direct uh, and ask an actor to be on this mark or that mark, or, you know, the light is better if they turn this way. Or when you start giving them technical information, um, there are some actors that don't want to hear any of that. But I think most of the actors really appreciate that because they know that they don't have to think about that now, that there's somebody there that's watching out for them with that stuff. <clears throat> so it's a, it's a pretty unique relationship between an operator and an actor, but it's, 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 it's good. 
you really are. It's amazing. Listening to you, I'm realizing how, how the camera operator is really the common thread between communication between the actors, the directors, the cinematographers, like you're, you're right there in the middle getting direction and kind of transferring information in a way uh, from everyone to everyone else. Like you're really right there in the middle. Yeah, with I call it all, the eye of the hurricane. There you go, the eye of the hurricane. But with all this direction coming to you, is there any room for the Mitch Dubin style? Is there any room for improvisation and developing, you know, something behind the camera that's all your own. There's a couple things to say about that, but I would say, <clears throat> first of all, you know, you might get a, a, a number one mark from the director or cinematographer, and you might get the end mark from the director or cinematographer. But when the shot starts, everything between that number one and number two is completely me. It's completely the operator. I'm making decisions 24 frames a second about where to put the frame. And um, so that is me. That is an expression of, of, of my craft and my art, my expression. Um, that's one aspect to it. Um, I was going to say something else, and now I think I forgot. <laughs> but um, I, I think that I, uh, you know, filmmaking is a collaborative process. So um, there's always parts of everybody in, in every shot. Um, and I, I think that I do have a, a particular style of working, but a lot of that is determined by the style of the director. And, 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 and so I think the expression of who I am is sort of a chameleon-like because it can change from one show to the next. You know, it would be burdensome if every film I ever worked on had to have a certain Mitch Dubin look. I mean, that would be inappropriate. But um, I definitely uh, ha have inputs about how it looks and 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 what's the best way of telling the story, which may be unique to me. I'm not sure. And it seems as though you're able to bring everything to life. I mean, I can only imagine directors and DPs going to you and almost making sure that something can happen. I mean, they're coming up with ideas, but you're the one that has to actually do it. Um, I mean, are you ever in situations where you're the one saying, I, you know, it either can't happen or yes, it can. And you're sort of pushing ideas, you know, forward and backwards based on quite frankly, just the, what you're able to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for sure. I mean, when, uh, you know, again, we have to separate Steven out from, but all the, I have to say, even with Steven, sometimes he'll come up with a shot that is undoable. And, and I have to tell him, Stephen, we can try to do the shot, but we're going to spend a lot of time setting it up. And I don't think you're going to be happy with it. Mm. So let's see if we can come up with a, a better idea. And he responds immediately and says, okay, let's do it this way. So, yeah, I mean, there are certain times when there will be, you know, a shot and it could either come from someone like Stephen that might be overly ambitious or from someone, a director that doesn't really understand the camera well enough to know that that it's either impossible or to do or impractical or just a bad idea. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and yeah, it becomes me the person that has to translate that to the director saying and and probably the approach I would take is that's a great shot, but I hear, what about this? Maybe instead this might be a better idea. <laughs> 
you know, you don't ever want to say, are you crazy? That will never work. <laughs> what was the most challenging film or TV show, just project in general, that you've worked on? Saving Private Ryan obviously was a, a really challenging job. Um, and and I, I've told this before is that we, you know, I because again, there is an example of no prep. I, you know, I show up on, on maybe a couple of days before shooting and um, we didn't know we were going to be handheld for the whole movie until we finished the first shot. And then all of a sudden the whole movie's handheld and we weren't really equipped for doing, uh, you know, we didn't have cameras that were, that were handheld. It was, was that because the decision was made after the first shot or you just didn't know? No, it was made after the first shot. That's my interpretation of it. I mean, people might have other stories, but I, but the very first shot we did was in the movie was in the landing craft as the doors open uh, to the, the German, you know, to the beach of Normandy. And, uh, I was in the actual landing craft with, with the soldiers, and it's a small space. There was no way to get even a tripod in there, so the camera ended up on my shoulder, and the doors open, and, and all the effects go off, and the, the, the blood is flying, and the flesh is flying. And it was so powerful and intense. And you know, being there handheld, you can't help but to react to all that that's yeah. happening. Then the shot was over and everybody was like covered in blood, including Stephen, who was sitting up above me. And it was so emotional, the response mm -hmm. that the, the thing was, okay, everything we do now is going to be handheld. And I, I do think it was, you know, that's what decision was made then. And um, we really weren't prepared for it. We had heavy cameras. We had, you know, uh, Panaflux cameras and image shakers and flashers, and it, it was really heavy. And wow. I kept pleading to the assistants, "We got to find a lighter camera. I'm going to die doing this." But you know, I've said this other times. I think, in terms of you know equipment and storytelling, and and it actually worked out really well because by having this really heavy camera and being unprepared. We were exactly like the soldiers that were landing on the beaches of Normandy. They came in on the wrong tide. They were overweight. Uh, you obviously they're sinking to the bottom of the, the ocean, you know, and then jump out of the boats. And it was, it was, we were plodding up the beaches just like the soldiers were. And it was, you know, when we finally got a lighter camera, uh, which was at the time, it was a movie cam with a BNC lens, a uh, Panavision lens mount on it was when we shot the last scene in Rommel and where the soldiers now were more like, you know, it was more like guerrilla warfare, run and gun. And, and I could run really fast and I could keep up with the actors and it was much more exciting and fast. Whereas on the beaches of Normandy, it was supposed to be plodding and slow. And it was because we had these really heavy cameras. So it worked out in a funny way. But yes, that was a really hard, challenging film because I didn't realize how, well, the camera's responsibility was going to be so intense on that film. Yeah. And we would do these big scenes, especially on the Normandy stuff. We'd get one shot, one take at it because it took so long to set up all the, the effects, the mortars and explosions and the, 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 all the bullet hits that it made, it took them weeks to set up that stuff on the beach that Stephen didn't want to take the time to, to, to reset it up. 
So we, we literally had one when we did one takes of all that stuff. Wow. That's amazing. Camera operators must get incredible respect from the actors because you're right there doing it. Like you're, you're basically kind of another actor in the scene. Um, oh, yeah. you know, so the, the respect there must be incredible and you're the closest to them. Um, I, I, I mean, you've met so many people and work with so many people, but was there any one person in particular that were, that really shook you, that got you nervous and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to be working with this actor or this director. I get along very well with actors because, uh, I have so much respect for their craft. It's, they do something. I, I could never be an actor. It's a magical process. I don't know where it comes from, but this depth of understanding of, of, of the human character and to be able to switch different characters from film to film and still be earnest and sincere and, and have this understanding of that human situation in a way that you can translate it to, to the audience. It's, it's like magic. It's really remarkable. So I, I have huge respect for actors and I do anything I can to make it easier for them to feel comfortable and do, and to do their job. But I've never felt intimidated by them because they're, it's, it's a craft or an art just like mine. And it's only because of, uh, you know, the marketing and, 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 and the, the stardom that the actors have to deal with that makes their jobs seem like they're special, but they're really, they just love to be part of the crew. They don't really want any of that stuff. I mean, it's sort of, it's more like it comes with a price for them, you know? Um, but there, there's gotta I, be somebody though, that you're, that you got the call that you're going to be working on a film and you're like saying to your wife, you'll never believe who I'm working with. There has to be somebody. But you know, the thing is those actors that, that I think I've, you would say that or usually with on Steven's movies and, and on those movies, Steven's still the king. That's, so that's true. You know, that's true. So, you know, that you have Tom Cruise, you know, I've done a few movies with Tom and, and with Tom Hanks and they're great actors and they're really good guys. They're really wonderful people, but because it's Steven's directing, they would never, they would never step out of line. Yeah. You know, they're, they're there to do the job. And, so it's a, you know it's a group it's a collaborative process I keep saying that so no I've never I've never had issues with actors I've never been I don't know if intimidated is the word because we're all working together mm. Let's take a moment and talk about collaborative editing now for those of you that are editors, you know that collaborating with other editors is not the most seamless thing in the world. It's a little bit clunky. It's a little bit bumpy, but I have a solution for you. It's called PostLab. Now, PostLab is a collaboration tool for Final Cut Pro and Premiere editors, and it's really going to change your entire workflow. It's going to make it better and more seamless in a few ways. First, PostLab gives you incredible access. So beyond always saving your documents locally, it also syncs all the changes with your entire team. So you're not zipping up files and sending them all over the place anymore. Those days are over. The days of broken files are over as well because whenever one person is working on the library, it locks it from everybody else uh, and shows you what they're doing so you can keep track of what they're doing without the risk of screwing things up. It also has what they call Time Machine 2.0, 
uh, which is really like the next evolution of Time Machine because you can browse the history of every library, you can jump back and forth between versions and find the particular edit you're looking for quickly. It also uh, opens it up exactly how you left it, down to the blinking playhead. Now, if this sounds like something that you absolutely should be trying, I suggest you do. And the good news is Go Creative Show listeners get three months free. So why not? And all you got to do is go to gocreativeshow.com forward slash postlab. Gocreativeshow.com forward slash postlab. This will change your editing workflow for the better. Gocreativeshow.com forward slash postlab and get your three free months. In our last couple of minutes, I just want to get to a couple of short little things here. Um, do you have any preferred camera package right now? And I know a lot of that advice is coming from the director and, of course, the DP. But, you know, if the decision were up to you, and maybe it is sometimes, is there something that you're sort of more interested in and like to use now? Yeah. You know, again, I'll say the camera operating is really uh, not a technical job. And honestly, I don't care what camera we use. Mm. Um, all I care about is that there's a ground glass with four lines and a frame. And I don't like crosshairs in the, in the ground glass. That's all I care about. You know, I, I don't. You know, and that we obviously have enough choice of lenses to choose from, but I don't care what make those lenses are. Mm. I just care that we have enough millimeter choices. Yeah. So I know that's that's a probably a disappointing answer to you, but it, it's, it's not disappointing it's not, to me. I think if anything, it's encouraging because it's about you know it's about the work and not about the tool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it makes a huge difference for the cinematographer, the look of the film that he's trying to set up, the, maybe the lens choices, you know, what, what manufacturer, what camera, because these days with digital cameras, it seems like where it used to be film stock would give different looks. Now, every camera has a different look because of the, the chips and the, the electron, the, you know, the whatever software that goes on inside of a digital camera gives different looks. But for me, it's, Film, digital, it doesn't matter. It's four lines to the frame. That's all I care about. Mm. What was it like for you, the shift to digital? Well, you know, originally when the digital cameras first came out, the eyepieces were terrible. And it was almost like insulting. Like, really? You're going to put this camera out and have us work with it? And I can't see a, a good image through this eyepiece? Yeah. I mean, it was horrible. And uh, and thank goodness, uh, you know, I w we were still mainly working in film until like in the second third generation of these cameras came out they finally put good eyepieces on them and and now uh the eyepieces are actually really good and when i you know steven still shoots film and so when we i go back we did so we did west side story last summer we shot it in film and I, it was amazing i put my eye to the eyepiece and i said oh my god this looks terrible <laughs> compared to a digital finder because one of them reasons because they've made digital finders so so good, but also they're not really maintaining film cameras like they used to. And so, you know, the film cameras are breaking down and the eyepieces are turning yellow and it's hard to see focus. So it's, 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 it's now digital cameras have gotten better in yeah. a way. Yeah. I mean, film still looks great. I love it. But in terms of the, the working process, it's hard with film cameras. And the last thing I wanted to talk about was production now in during COVID. Is this your first, I know you're in Chicago now working on Fargo. Is this the first project you've worked on since 
you know, COVID broke out in March. Yeah. yeah. yeah how how are things different? They're really different. Now, I, you know, I'm here now in Chicago quarantining. Uh, um, I've been tested twice, so we get tested every other day now, I think. Um, we don't start shooting until Friday, so I, 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 I'm not, I can't tell you what it's, it's going to be like on the set. I just know it's going to be different, mm. and it's going to be awkward, and it's not going to be comfortable, and it's probably not going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> it, I think it's going to take away a lot of what made film sets so great to work on, which is a certain camaraderie and, and you know, joking around and, and being lighthearted being able to interact with the actors and, and everything that goes on in this collaborative process of soup of making a movie now is going to be, people are going to be uptight and we have to keep our distance and we have to wear all this PPE and there's a certain protocol that has to happen. So I don't really know what it's going to be like. I just know it's going to be different. Mm -hmm. And, um, you can check back with me in a week and I'll give you more specifics, but yeah, uh, you know. I'm very curious and we're kind of, we're going to be doing a series on go creative show all about kind of getting back to work, uh, in the production industry and just kind of having little conversations here and there. You're at an interesting point cause you haven't officially started yet, but what have you been told already that might be interesting for the audience to hear? Cause there's a lot of people out there listening that haven't yet started their first, you know, COVID project and are interested. You know, I, I want to just say real quick that um, we had the SOC, I'm part of the SOC and uh, on the education committee, and we had a panel discussion that is, um, was with camera operators, about five of them that had already been back to work. And they talked about their experiences working and it was everything from reality show shooting to, TV to, to film. And it was really, really interesting. And, uh, we recorded it and it's actually on the SOC webpage. Oh, wow. So, Great. so, and it, it, you don't have to be a member to see it. It's right there on the homepage and it's really worthwhile, uh, to, to listen to, to this, but, you know, I learned a lot listening to it. I mean, stupid little things like, you know, getting, uh, anti-fog, uh, spray for your glasses because when you wear those mat when you wear a mask mm. at kn95 your glasses tend to fog up you know or how to tape the mask so that the air doesn't come out of the mask and fog your glasses yeah and, you know and and that when you wear i never thought about this but when you wear a mask which we all obviously have to do you know when you wear when you're wearing it for 10 hours a day it is it really irritates your ears now who would have i didn't know that mm. you know so there are actually ear protectors that you can you can buy that you strap the mask to that instead of your ears. Stupid little things like that just to help you through this process of, of working with all this PPE on. Yep. So, you know, um, we have to wear face shields, but face shields reflect in funny ways. And for an operator, it's going to be hard wearing a face shield. So I got goggles, snowboarding goggles instead. So, th you know, things like that. But, wow. you know, I haven't been out there yet, so it's, it's going to be interesting. Wow. Well, good luck. You're on a great project. You've got West Side Story yeah, coming out that everyone's excited yeah. about. Uh, yeah. Lucky that got I done before, before everything got locked oh, yeah. down. 
Well, we, you know, that we finished shooting that last summer. We shot it a year ago, and it the intent was always for it to be released, you know, after Thanksgiving. But I, I don't really know what they're going to do if the movie theaters aren't open. I, I know Stephen's not going to put it on a streaming channel, so mm-hmm. it might still take a while for it to come out. But it, I, that was a great. It was so much fun to do that. I had never done a musical before, and and talk about challenge. That was a whole new challenge. Because there's all different rules about musical dancing numbers that I had never done before. Yeah. It was really fun. Yeah. Oh, that would be it's great. When that comes out, I'd love to have you back to talk about that because I think that'd be really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. It was really interesting. I thought I, you know, had done it long enough that I wasn't going to have too many new experiences. I was totally challenged in a great way by that, you know, because everything is music motivated. And, and, and if you, wait to see to see it you're late you have to always i had a music uh uh, a headphone with music in it all the time Mm because i had to take all my cues off music it would be like all right mitch on the downbeat of the fourth verse and the third stanza you need to whip pan over to this dancer jumping in the air and i'm going wow i don't even know what that means (laughs) (laughs) i i can imagine the rehearsals in the prep for that must have been more than you're used to yeah yeah, but again, you know, it was hot New York summer, and uh, we're shooting in the streets, so we didn't want to rehearse too much. You know, we shot a lot of rehearsals for that. But I would have the assistant choreographer next to me sometimes, and he would like tap my shoulder when it was time for me to, to, to you know, at least the first couple of takes, and then I, I, I would get it. How many cameras were on that? You know, Stephen mainly does one camera. He's a one camera director. We wow. rarely do. Uh, but you know, for the dance stuff, we would we would have two cameras. That's it. Wow. You know, that's great. Moria it's so just, crazy just knowing that you've it's hot. You're rolling on rehearsals. You're probably not doing a million takes, and just the confidence of everybody to just do this yeah. with two cameras is amazing. Yeah, it's it's exciting. It's I I, I have to say I have never cried before on a on a set on a camera. But it, it, West Side Story is so emotional. I, I didn't realize. And there was this one scene where it's really emotional. It's very moving. And I'm shooting it. And all of a sudden, I feel my chest tighten up. And I'm going, Mitch, you cannot cry right now because you're in the middle of shooting this scene. But it was like, I, it was really emotional. I mean, it was weird. West Side Story got you, but Saving Private Ryan did not. Well, you know, the funny thing about saying <laughs> is that it was so much fun to shoot because the actors were, they're all really hilarious characters. And Tom Hanks is such a great guy that it was really fun. And it never occurred to me how serious it was until I saw the movie for the first time. And then I looked at it and I said, oh my God, I do not remember shooting this movie. This is so intense. But it wasn't when we were shooting. You shoot things one shot at a time anyway, but it was it was more fun and laughs and jokes than it was reflected to the nature of what the film really was. You know? Wow. And lastly, advice to aspiring, you know, filmmakers that are thinking about camera operation, director of photography work, what advice do you have for them? To be a cinematographer and to be a camera operator are very different choices. So, um, and anyone, my advice to anyone that wants to be a cinematographer is that you will be a better cinematographer if you use a camera operator. I am 100% convinced of that. 
I think there are a lot of cinematographers that think that they should be operating their own camera. And I understand that uh, from their point of view, but I will tell you from my experiences that you will be a better cinematographer if you have a good camera operator. Mm. And for those that choose to be a camera operator, I would say it's a great choice because it's really the best job on the set in the end. It's, it's really fun. It's a great job. And, uh, you know, as a camera operator, you're going to be working with the actors and the directors and the cinematographers and the rest of the crew. Like we said, the eye of the hurricane, and it's a, a really important position. And, uh, it's a great place to experience the filmmaking process. I love that. Mitch Dubin, S-O-C-A-C-O, camera operator for a whole bunch of stuff. We talked just, we just scratched the surface of your work here on this okay. show, but there's so much to dig into. And, um, I mean, your work is excellent and I'm so thankful that you came on Go Creative Show to talk to us. Yeah. Thank you. It's my pleasure. I really appreciate it. And, and we can do it again sometime. Yeah, I know. We'll, we'll, need a whole, we'll need a whole season of episodes to talk about all the work that you've been involved in. <laughs> Where can people go to learn more about you? Is that a question? Yeah. Do you have a website, Instagram, all of no. that? No. I have an Instagram. All right. I have an Instagram. It's, I think it's just my name, Mitch Dubin. There you go. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm going to pitch the SOC for a minute and um, that we... Uh, have uh, on our website, if you're a member, there's a whole channel of, we've been producing all this educational stuff. And there's some really interesting uh, educational pieces. We did a whole 30 hour lecture series with AFI students and it was, it really covered every aspect about camera operating. And it was during the quarantine so that we, uh, it's amazing the camera operators we got that or teaching these classes, the best camera operators in the world. So those things are really interesting. And then when there's some other little things, I did a piece with the Dolly Grip on a, on a, uh, our collaboration, which is really interesting. So this, you know, you, you should check that out. You in fact, should. It's an SOC, by the way, Society of Camera Operators, soc.org. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. That video that Mitch was talking about getting back to work is right here on the page, two hours of content here. And that that's something I'm definitely going to be checking out. And I know you guys would like that too. Um, any other last words, Mitch, before we part ways here? No, there no, you I go. just think, you know, it, you know, it's, it's strange times right now and the world feels like it's upside down and uh, it's going to be interesting going back to work, but we will go back to work and hopefully one day it'll all be um, back to what we remember. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hopeful of that too. Thank you so much, Mitch, for being on and we'll definitely have you back and yeah. good luck on Fargo. Yeah. Thanks very much. All right. I want to thank Mitch Dubin for coming on the show and talking to us all about his experiences out there as a camera operator. I also want to thank Connor Crosby for producing the show. You can find him at ignitionvisuals.com. And of course, Matt Russell for mixing and mastering and making the show sound so good. You can find him at gainstructure.com. Now subscribe to Go Creative Show on your favorite podcast app. And of course, follow us across Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And we're going to be doing some live Go Creative shows on YouTube. So definitely subscribe to us there so you don't miss out. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors, MZ, Education for Creatives, and Post Lab, Stress-Free Collaboration, and Final Cut Pro 
and premiere without these people, the show wouldn't exist. So please support those that support us. And of course, we want to thank all of you out there for listening and sharing and uh, having so much fun with us here at Go Creative Show. We absolutely love it and cannot wait to see what's next for Go Creative Show. So stay tuned for more. And of course, we'll see you next week on another episode of Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers. 